Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. gentlemen, thank you for standing by and welcome to the Real Matters Second Quarter 2020 Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in the listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today. Lynn Beauregard-Fisher, Vice President, Investor Relations. Thank you. Please go ahead, ma'am. Thank you, Operator, and good morning, everyone. Welcome to Real Matters Financial Results Conference Call for the second quarter ended March 31, 2020. With me today are Real Matters Chief Executive Officer Jason Smith, President and Chief Operating Officer Brian Lang, and Chief Financial Officer Bill Herman. This morning before market opened, we issued a news release announcing our Q2 results for the three and six months ended March 31st, 2020. The release, accompanying slide presentation, as well as the financial statements and MD&A are posted to the Investor Relations section of our website at realmatters.com. During the call, we may make certain forward-looking statements which reflect the current expectations of management with respect to our business and the industry in which we operate. These forward-looking statements are based on management's experience and perception of historical trends, current conditions, and expected future developments, as well as other factors that we believe to be appropriate and reasonable in the circumstances. The forward-looking statements reflect management's belief based on information currently available and should not be read as a guarantee of the occurrence or timing of any future events, performance, or results. Forward-looking information is subject to risk uncertainties, and other factors that are difficult to predict and that could cause actual results to differ materially from historical results or results anticipated by the forward-looking information. A comprehensive discussion of the factors which could cause results or events to differ from current expectations can be found in the risk factors section of the company's annual information form for the year ended September 30, 2019, and under the heading COVID-19 Impact on Risk Factors in our MD&A for the three and six months ended March 31st, 2020, each of which is available on SPEDAR and on our website. As a reminder, we refer to non-GAAP measures in our slide presentation, including net revenue, net revenue margins, adjusted EBITDA, and adjusted EBITDA margins. Non-GAAP measures are described in our MDNA for the three and six months ended March 31st, 2020, where you will also find reconciliations to the nearest IFRS measures. With that, I'll now turn the call over to Jason. Thank you, Lynn. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us on the call. I will kick things off today by discussing some of the highlights of our second quarter. I'll then hand it off to Brian, who will provide his remarks regarding performance of our operations in Q2 and through the first stages of the COVID-19 pandemic. Bill will then take a deeper dive into our segment financials, and I'll wrap up the call with some brief remarks prior to us taking your questions. Turning to slide three, we reported another very strong quarter in Q2 as we continued to outpace the market in terms of growth. We recorded market-adjusted growth of 18.5% in U.S. appraisal, 
and 145.5% in U.S. title as a result of significant year-over-year increases in market share and new client additions. We also benefited from a very robust U.S. mortgage refinance origination market due to lower interest rates. As we've outlined previously, our model is built to scale. Our second quarter results continue to demonstrate the impact higher volumes have on our financial performance. Consolidated adjusted EBITDA increased to 14.6 million from 2.8 million in the second quarter of 2019. Sustained sustained strength in the U.S. refinance origination market continue to provide a healthy backdrop for our growth. The spring purchase season started early this year and was off to a strong start prior to the onset of COVID-19 in mid-March. Notwithstanding the impact that COVID-19 had in the second half of March, which impacted lender underwriting capacity and the purchase market, we continued to see weekly mortgage origination volumes that were higher than any week in 2019 through the end of March and, in fact, through April. In fact, the month of March held up very well in the face of COVID-19 and accounted for 40% of net revenue in the second quarter. We reported consolidated revenues of $109.6 million in the second quarter of fiscal 2020, up 73.3% year-over-year, and consolidated net revenue was up 79% year-over-year to $35.9 million. We estimate that U.S. market volume was up 23.1% in the second quarter of 2020, relative to the same quarter last year. Our estimate of the market change includes growth in the U.S. mortgage origination market of 40%, which was offset by a decline in estimated home equity and default volumes of 10% and 45%, respectively. The increase in total origination volumes of 40% comprises estimated purchase volumes that were down 5% and an increase in estimated refinance volumes of 122%. We also estimate that average loan sizes for purchase and refinance activity increased about 18% year over year. We posted another very strong quarter in our U.S. appraisal segment with market-adjusted volume growth of 18.5% year over year. For origination-only volume, market-adjusted growth was 19.4%. Much like in Q1, we benefited from significant year-over-year market share increases with our clients including our Tier 1 lenders. We also launched one new Top 100 lender and went live in a new channel with another Top 100 lender during the quarter. U.S. appraisal net revenue was up 64% and adjusted EBITDA was up 116.5% on a year-over-year basis. Our U.S. appraisal business benefited from a strong purchase volume up until the onset of COVID-19 in early March, which subsequently caused a significant slowdown in purchase activity. Conversely, refinance market activity was strong throughout the quarter, with a significant spike in early March, which helped offset the slowing purchase market and filled lenders' pipelines to capacity. We believe that COVID-19 reduced productivity and, in turn, industry underwriting capacity at the end of the quarter, placing a ceiling on the number of applications that could be processed. As a result of these capacity constraints, lenders moved to increase rates in mid-March which caused refinance application growth to slow towards the end of the quarter and into Q3. Our U.S. title business benefited from the same market dynamics. However, given its heavy refinance focus, 
the title business has and will continue to demonstrate outside gains relative to our U.S. appraisal business in a low interest rate environment. We had very strong year-over-year market share growth in our U.S. title business in the second quarter. We also went live with three new lenders. U.S. title revenues are also typically recognized 45 days after application. And so the, the early March surge that benefited our U.S. appraisal segment will carry over into our third quarter results for U.S. title. Second quarter, U.S. title segment revenues rose 108.3% year-over-year, and we recorded market-adjusted volume growth of 145.5%. We calculate market-adjusted volume growth based on our estimate of the total market. However, our U.S. title segment almost, almost exclusively services refinance activity. We estimate that U.S. refinance market volumes were up 122% year-over-year. The significant increase in adjusted EBITDA and adjusted EBITDA margins in our U.S. title segment reflects the scale of our business from higher volumes. As we continue to grow in U.S. title, we expect this segment will contribute an increasingly higher proportion of consolidated adjusted EBITDA going forward. Our U.S. title sales pipeline is strong, and our team continues to advance discussions with current and new potential clients. We are demonstrating the resilience of our model and our ability to maintain our competitive advantage in this environment. The heightened level of refinance activity continues to highlight the need for lenders to add new vendors. We have the capacity to launch new clients. However, most lenders are focused on managing through COVID-19 issues and adding underwriting capacity at this time. We continue to be actively engaged in discussions with prospective clients, and we remain confident in our ability to grow. In our Canadian segment, second quarter revenues were up 40.6% year over year, and adjusted EBITDA increased to 0.8 million from 0.4 million in Q2 2019. Driven by higher appraisal volumes from increasing market share with certain Canadian clients and a stronger mortgage origination market in Canada. The Canadian mortgage market has been less resilient to the impacts of COVID-19 because it does not have the same market for refinances that exist in the U.S. And so we expect weaker results in the third quarter as a result of the pandemic. Our insurance company clients have put a temporary hold on their insurance inspections during COVID-19 and we expect these inspections to be completed once the restrictions are lifted. In the interim, we have redeployed some of our internal resources to support our growing U.S. title business. Up until the onset of COVID-19, the Canadian mortgage market had been stable for a long time. The return to stronger collateral underwriting standards may be a favorable trend for us in the Canadian mortgage market post-pandemic. With that, I'll hand it over to Brian. Brian? Thanks, Jason. Second quarter proved to be very busy for real matters. Both our U.S. appraisal and U.S. title revenues hit a record high, and our U.S. title business closed the highest number of transactions in its history. Not only did the business continue to perform at the top of lender scorecards, we managed to do this while shifting our operations to a remote work model because of COVID-19. Starting March 16th, Real Matters moved to a remote work environment for 96% of its 700-plus employees. The move was made in a matter of days with virtually no loss in productivity. As we've said before, being able to fail over to remote network management is a core capability of our company and a core tenant of our business continuity commitment to our regulated lenders. 
We are very pleased that this transition occurred seamlessly and that we have continued to operate without ending interruption to our clients. Despite these challenging times, the appraisers, notaries, attorneys, and abstractors on our network continue to deliver unwavering in their support as essential service providers and consistently going above and beyond for our clients and their customers. Without them providing these essential services to the mortgage industry, tens of thousands of Americans would not be able to move into their new homes, access equity in their existing homes, or lower their monthly mortgage payments at a time when they likely need it most. Because of the strength of our network, we've continued to deliver appraisal and title and closing services across the country. Although a handful of borrowers and field professionals have not been comfortable proceeding with an appraisal inspection or mortgage signing, the vast majority of transactions are being completed while adopting social distancing techniques to eliminate physical contact. To date, we have not seen any material change in our appraiser or closing agent capacity. Our clients continue to be satisfied with our turnaround times in U.S. appraisal, and we are meeting closing dates in U.S. title and managing exceptions exceedingly well, demonstrating our ability to maintain our competitive advantage in this environment. During the second quarter, Real Matters launched safe space appraisals and safe space closings to support the field professionals on our network and to align with guidance provided by world health organizations as well as state and local authorities. We've received very positive feedback from the appraisers and notaries on our network, as well as praise from clients about our response to the pandemic. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank our team and all of the field professionals on our network for their outstanding performance during the quarter. Without their commitment and professionalism, we would not have been able to support our clients and continue to perform throughout this pandemic. I'd also like to thank our clients for their continued trust and partnership. Looking at where we are today, I'm encouraged by the conversations that are unfolding at the federal, state, and provincial levels as we move forward in our thinking and planning our path toward recovery from this pandemic. As certain geographies begin to ease restrictions, our team has also begun planning for the months and years ahead. Our annual planning sessions are also already underway, and we look forward to sharing some of those plans with you at our investor day this fall. As Jason mentioned earlier, our company is poised for growth. We hired 58 new employees in the second quarter. Another 29 new employees were on board in April, and we continue to actively recruit additional talent. With that, I'll turn it over to Bill. Bill? Thank you, Brian. Uh, turning to slides five and six for a closer look at our financial results. Consolidated revenues were up 73.3% in the second quarter of fiscal 2020, compared to the same quarter last year, due to significant revenue growth in both our U.S. appraisal and U.S. title segments. Revenues in our U.S. appraisal segment were up 65.4% year-over-year, while revenues in our U.S. title segment increased 108.3%. Canadian segment revenues were also up year-over-year by 40.6%. In our U.S. appraisal segment, we serviced higher origination volumes due to an increase in market volumes, market share gains, and new client additions. Our average revenue per unit increased in the second quarter as we continue to service a greater proportion of higher-priced origination volumes compared to lower-priced home equity and default volumes. 
Transaction costs in our U.S. appraisal segment increased 65.9% year-over-year, a reflection of the increase in volumes serviced. Net revenue of $17.4 million was up 64% in this segment, and net revenue margins declined a modest 20 basis points to 24.4% versus the second quarter of fiscal 2019. On a sequential basis, however, we reported a 140 basis point increase in U.S. appraisal net revenue margins as the pace of relative investments we made in our appraiser panel to service higher current and future volumes slowed in the second quarter of fiscal 2020. Operating expenses in our U.S. appraisal segment increased 20.8% to $7 million, up from $5.9 million in the second quarter of fiscal 2019, the result of higher payroll and related costs due to higher volumes serviced. This increase in payroll and related costs partially offset the increase in net revenue, resulting in a 116.5% improvement in adjusted EBITDA year over year. In addition, adjusted EBITDA margins in our U.S. appraisal segment increased to 59.5% in the second quarter of fiscal 2020, up from the 45.1% we posted in the same quarter last year. Compared to the second quarter of fiscal 2019, we converted each incremental dollar of net revenue to adjusted EBITDA at a rate of 82% in our U.S. appraisal segment, 79% when you exclude the impact of adopting IFRS 16. As Jason mentioned, second quarter revenues in our U.S. title segment increased 108.3% year over year, while transaction costs increased 112.8% leading to a contraction in net revenue margins of 90 basis points. The decline in net revenue margins was a reflection of strong order volumes received in the second quarter of this year due to falling interest rates, which we will convert to revenues in the third quarter. In addition, net revenue margins declined on lower margins earned on diversified services we, we supplied. We typically incur transaction costs to search the title on a mortgage origination order 45 days in advance of recognizing revenue, which we recognize in connection with the closing of the transaction. Accordingly, the sequential decline in net revenue margins was in line with the expectations we set out during our first quarter conference call. U.S. title revenues attributable to reported volumes for this segment, meaning revenues generated from our mortgage origination clients, increased to 20.6 million, or 182%, from 7.3 million in the second quarter of fiscal 2019. And our average revenue per unit increased due to geographic mix. Diversified revenues increased to 7.2 million from 5.1 million in the second quarter of 2019 due to higher capital markets activity, partially offset by lower commercial and search revenues. Operating expenses in this segment increased to 10.1 million from 7.6 million in the second quarter of fiscal 2019, and adjusted EBITDA increased to 7.1 million from the 0.8 million we posted in the same quarter last year. Consistent with our performance over the last several quarters, the scalability of our U.S. title operations was on display this quarter and delivered a significant improvement to adjusted EBITDA year over year. Compared to the second quarter of fiscal 2019, we converted each incremental dollar of net revenue to adjusted EBITDA at a rate of 72%. When you exclude the impact of the adoption of IFRS 16, the conversion rate was 
In Canada, revenues increased 40.6% to $7.5 million, while net revenue margins contracted by 240 basis points, due in part to a higher proportion of revenues earned from lower margin appraisal services. Canadian segment operating expenses were $0.6 million in the second quarter this year, down 13% from the second quarter of fiscal 2019, and adjusted EBITDA margins increased to 58.3% from 40.6% in the same quarter last year. Putting this all together, second quarter consolidated net revenue increased 79% to $35.9 million, up from the $20.1 million we reported in the second quarter of fiscal 2019 on strong contributions from both our U.S. appraisal and U.S. title segments, as previously noted. And consolidated net revenue margins increased to 32.8% in the second quarter of fiscal 2020, up from 31.7% in the second quarter of fiscal 2019, due in part to a greater proportion of consolidated net revenue coming from our higher margin U.S. title operations. As a result of our strong operating performance, consolidated adjusted EBITDA rose to $14.6 million in the second quarter of fiscal 2020, up from $2.8 million in the same quarter last year. And consolidated adjusted EBITDA margins increased to 40.6% in the second quarter of fiscal 2020 versus the 13.8% mark we posted in the second quarter of fiscal 2019. In the second quarter, we recognized, zero point, uh, recognized a $0.4 million benefit to adjusted EBITDA as a result of adopting IFRS 16, with no comparative benefit recognized in the second quarter last year. Turning to the balance sheet, we ended the quarter with cash and cash equivalents of $89.1 million, an increase of $8.3 million from the first quarter of fiscal 2020 and we continued to purchase shares under our normal course issuer bid, purchasing approximately 1 million shares at a cost of about 9.8 million in the quarter. From the inception of our NCIB, our normal course issuer bid, in June of 2018, we've returned real value to our shareholders, purchasing nearly 7 million shares at a total cost of $39.1 million, the Canadian equivalent of $51.8 million which represents 7.9% of the total shares issued and outstanding prior to entering our NCIB. And since we first reported our financial results publicly in June of 2017, we've added $18.5 million of cash to our cash and cash equivalents position. Today, not only do we have over $89 million of cash on our balance sheet, but we have access to $40 million through credit facilities available to us. In addition, because we count the majority of the largest mortgage lenders in the United States and Canada as our clients, we've seen continued strength in our ability to collect amounts owed to us. We're also proud to report that we have not utilized any government assistance since the onset of COVID-19, and we, we don't currently see a need arising in the future. With that, I'll turn it back over to Jason. Jason? Thanks, Bill. Overall, we were very pleased with how the business performed in the second quarter. We delivered excellent financial results, notwithstanding the exceptional circumstances that were caused by COVID-19. Our business proved to be very resilient in the face of this pandemic. We continued to gain market share, launch new clients, and we delivered a 73.3% increase in revenues and adjusted EBITDA margins of 40.6%. 
Looking ahead to the second half of fiscal 2020, the effect of volumes carried over from March applications should drive U.S. title closed volumes higher, buoyed by very strong market share growth, even factoring in constrained lender underwriting capacity. In U.S. appraisal, we believe that our volumes for the first quarter of 2020 are a good benchmark for where lender underwriting capacity is at today, notwithstanding a potential reduction in productivity as a result of lenders sustaining remote work environments. With two months left in our third quarter, we are not assuming lenders will significantly increase their underwriting capacity for the remainder of the quarter, although it is possible, considering that 10-year Treasury yields are supportive of more volume than the industry can currently address. Over the next two quarters, we believe that even with potentially higher unemployment, increased forbearance rates, constraints on non-conforming mortgage product availability, and reduced property values, higher demand from eligible refinance candidates will continue to fill lender underwriting capacity. We believe that the ability of lenders to increase their underwriting capacity during COVID-19 remains the most significant hurdle to mortgage market growth in the near term. As we've indicated in our weekly market updates, lenders are actively recruiting additional underwriters to add capacity for the near term and to support the long, multi-year surge in refinance volume coupled with the return of a growing purchase market. Once industry underwriting capacity grows, even if U.S. 10-year Treasury rates increase to 1% to 1.2% and remain at those levels for the next few years, we believe this will translate into 30-year mortgage rates of no higher than 3% as spreads normalize. We believe this will create a large multi-year market opportunity for Real Matters and provide a tailwind to our market share growth strategy, a tailwind that we have not had since going public in May of 2017. Real Matters' long-term strategy has not changed. We are confident in our ability to grow market share in both U.S. appraisal and U.S. title by continuing our focus on our core competency in network management to deliver better performance to our clients. Overall, Real Matters is well-positioned due to our business model, our client base, and our financial strength, and we continue to grow. As Brian mentioned earlier, we continue to hire new talent to support the growth of the business. As we have said before, we view adjusted EBITDA as a proxy for cash, and EBITDA conversion on incremental net revenue has been very strong. We are also very well capitalized, which is competitively favorable for us. We currently have $89.1 million U.S. million on our balance sheet and no debt. We also have access to over 40 million U.S. dollars in credit lines from our banking partners, if required, giving us a total liquidity position of nearly 130 million U.S. dollars. Before we take your questions, I'd like to echo Brian's earlier comments and thank our employees and the field professionals on our network for their dedication and commitment, as well as our clients for trusting us with more and more of their business. I'd also like to recognize our long-term shareholders for their continued support. With that, operator, we'd like to open it up for questions now, please. Yes, ma'am. And as a reminder, ladies and gentlemen, that is star one to ask a question. Your first question comes from the line of Daniel Chan from TD Securities. Hi, good morning, guys. Congratulations on a good quarter. 
How is your um, how has your scorecard rating changed since the pandemic? Do you still rank at the top of uh, the tier one lenders, and do you know if you've increased the distance from your competitors? I think uh, you know, the quick answer is we remain at the top of our scorecards. That's our strength. Uh, there's been a lot of movement at the uh, local, state, or county level, depending on what's going on in terms of um, working through the early stages of the COVID-19 pandemic. So um, as, as lenders uh, initially tried to figure out how to interpret rules, uh, et cetera, it created some, some, some confusion um, within the whole industry. And I think our ability to um, jump quickly on communication, both with clients, with our network, um, to, to really drive our uh, operating model forward just positioned us really well. So I really like how we're positioned in this market. Sounds good. And what's your network capacity uh, at if the lenders are at full capacity? Do you need to make any significant investments to increase it? Yeah, we're, 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 we're sitting really well there. I, I think the best um, uh, data point I can go back to, Dan, is actually in early March when rates dropped and we saw a huge surge of purchase uh, activity as well as the refi activity that ultimately forced the lenders to increase rates as the volume was was uh, was flowing in beyond their capacity. Uh, we actually managed the network really well, and so I, I think we've just we've, we've that was a great test on sort of how our capacity was in the network and uh, what we might be able to look forward to as uh, as we exit the pandemic and as these low rates support very strong refi volumes. Okay, and last one for me. You, you mentioned that your strategy hasn't changed, but is there any opportunity or are you thinking about accelerating any parts of it, uh, given the large opportunity ahead of you? Yeah, I, I, look, I think we're, we're very focused. Uh, we have large uh, markets that we're serving in appraisal and title. Um, they're the largest revenue opportunities um, that, that are external from, from mortgage lending uh, operations themselves. And so, you know, when we saw the rates drop uh, late February, early March, and, and, and when we look at the tenure where it is right now, I mean, this is really going to unlock mortgages that we're never going to see the light of day. These were mortgages that we never expected we would be refinancing or would be flowing across our networks. And we got to remember that at this time last year, uh, you know, industry refinances were near multi-decade lows. So I think that this is a perfect environment for us to be accelerating our client pipelines as soon as we get out of the pandemic, um, the industry is gonna need dad vendors for growth. So, you know, we're, we've been marching up through the tiers from our tier three title clients to our tier two clients. Uh, you know, we've, we've had a longstanding plan to, to uh, launch the tier ones. And I think that this, this higher volume just accelerates uh, that cycle for us. Uh, as well as unlocking new opportunities on appraisal. So I think you're going to see us laser focused on, on those big markets and on executing this. Uh, however, uh, we're also, as Brian pointed out, been, been active in our planning process, um, and we're still on that. So I think uh, this fall uh, we still plan on holding our investor day, and we'll sort of lay out the next five years and sort of how we think about our businesses unfolding. But um, I think we'll, uh, we'll be very busy uh, for, the, for the next couple of years. That's great. Thank you very much. Thanks, Dan. The next question comes from the line of Robert Young from Kenacord Genuity. Please go ahead. Hi, uh, good morning. 
Um, now, Fannie Mae has uh, extended some flexibilities to appraisers given the crisis, and I was wondering if you could talk about what impact you're seeing on your business, if any. Do you see any permanent changes? Um, do you see any um, indications that the physical in-person appraisal is is at risk? Yeah, yeah well, thanks, thanks, Rob, for, for the question. Um, we We noted that um, the uh, GSEs and, and the broader regulators, to some extent, created uh, proactively, quite quick as we were in the pandemic, greater flexibility to have a licensed appraiser um, do a reduced scope appraisal actually on the same form or do a drive-by. So I, I would like to state that, you know, it, it's always required that licensed appraiser. Um, and what was going to be interesting is notwithstanding those uh, flexibilities provided, what were the lenders going to do given that they like to maintain flexibility to be able to sell loans to other channels, securitization, et cetera. And so uh, uh, what was incredible was that the vast majority uh, of, of orders uh, were coming in as full interior appraisals, and that continues to this day. And so um, our, our margin profile is good on those other products on an absolute dollar basis. It's very similar to an, a full interior. Um, but, you know, we were, uh, we were sort of happy to see that happen, and we haven't seen a change in that. On the network side, we, the network, as Brian said, was just fantastic. Um, you know, consumers don't need to be in the house, you know, shaking the hand of the appraiser, in fact, you know, the, the consumer not being there, leaving the lights on, leaving doors open, you know, standing up in the back deck so the appraiser can go in and do their piece uh, is, is what they prefer. Um, uh, they don't need to hear about, you know, uh, what renovations or things that the consumer did. It, 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 they, can, they, they want to assess that and then use benchmarks in the market. So uh, really the appraiser panel um, uh, just uh, executed very well, and we've had no issues in completing interior appraisals. I would also say, actually, the change when you're an appraiser, um, you know, they know how much the inside value, inside of the home can impact value of home A versus home B. And so, actually, they're, they're less, uh, they prefer to do the interior, and they feel it gives more credibility to the analysis that they're performing. Okay, great. And then um, you highlighted the fact that loan size is up by 18%. So I'm curious uh, about what that metric means for your business. Is this? Does this suggest that the backlog of refi is lengthened? Like, are banks prioritizing larger refinancing up front? Like, what's driving loan size, and why 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 would that be an important indicator for investors? Sure, I, I think it's important that you know when we see reported uh, either uh, bank uh, uh, origination numbers uh, through their quarterly uh, disclosures. Uh, or industry for, uh, uh, models report what was, uh, you know, originated, you know, say in, in the last uh, a quarter, uh, they report in dollar terms. And um, when you have the average loan size either going up or going down, it, it, we're, you know, our, our business runs on volume. So it's very important to, to adjust for that. So um, I, I would say that's the, that's the first dynamic there. I think what's going to be really interesting is on the refinance side, you know, if you've got a larger mortgage, then you need less of an interest rate uh, differential as rates drop to incent you to refinance in absolute dollar terms because you've got to pay for your appraisal, you've got to pay for your, your title, 
but then based on that spread, there's no other penalty. Uh, if you've got a larger mortgage, you, you just sort of more incentive. And sort of as I, I think that what we typically see here is a, re is a reduction in the average loan size as you move through the, the large refi opportunity. Uh, so it's something we're going to watch. I think it's important for investors to watch, and, and especially with respect to, uh, you know, um, assessing, you know, how long this wave is going to go. Uh, we think that, you know, with a return to purchase, we're probably a little more pessimistic than the rest in terms of how strong purchase will be next year. Um, but there are so many refi opportunities, at least 14.5 million uh, by industry and, um, uh, analysis, that, you know, that's two to three years to work through that refi volume. So um, I think what the loan size is will be important as we get out to 2023 to sort of assess what's, uh, what's left. Okay. Last question for me. I just, uh, you, Brian said that you were hiring uh, in the quarter and in April. Um, you said that the lenders are dealing at full capacity. So um, my assumption would be that your network had, you know, has scaled up. You don't need to add a lot of people. Um, what are the extra people required for? And I mean, if you could talk about the implications on your profitability going forward, given, you know, lenders are at full capacity and there may not be a lot of need to, you know, scale out the um, managers that you have in the regions. Got it. So, so I think the the principal focus of our hiring is is on our title business, um, and the reason for that is, of course, we've had very strong market share growth, uh, but we're as, as rates dropped. I mean, th this really you know changed the the, the outlook uh, with a with a significant tailwind to the business. So. Um, it really, it, it was anticipation, and we started the hiring class in anticipation of that stronger growth. So we're going to, we anticipate staying on that. It's largely around our title business, um, but we do not see a, you know, change in our operating margins. In fact, uh, with a greater volume, we expect to see continued um, improvement there. Okay, thanks. I'll pass the line. Our next question comes from the line of Venice Mo. Uh, BMO Capital Markets, please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Uh, Jason, in terms of the uh, capacity situation with the lenders, um, obviously a lot of uncertainty there, but could you expand maybe in terms of the discussions you're having with, with your clients, um, what they're saying as far as their optimism or pessimism regarding their ability to expand capacity over the next three or six months? Yeah, so so I think uh, they're all hiring. Um, you know, I know of one large non-bank that actually has 3,000 underwriting job postings. Um, I think uh, we're still early days in this. Um, and, you know, I think they're, they're more focused on this long-run opportunity uh, than, than, you know, what, what's going to happen here in the next couple of months. So I think this isn't a short-term thing for them. This is, uh, as rates drop, this is going to be a significant um, you know, tailwind to the industry. And so, you know, we, we've seen many reports, um, many lenders talk about their, their uh, intention to hiring. Um, two of the large big tier one banks actually diverted um, underwriting capacity from their home equity line of credit business, which is very low right now, and moved it over to the new origination market so they could build capacity. So I think it's, it's different for each lender. Uh, their, their underwriters are now working remotely. And so, you know, that, that has been something for a large bank uh, that they had to work through. So I think there's that strong intention to hire. 
and then we'll just see what the conversion rate's uh, going to be. Um, they got to get them trained. They got to get them laptops. They got to remotely onboard them from from home. And so, <clears throat> excuse me. I think you know our our view is you know in the uh, the balance of Q3 uh, and into Q4. I, you know I think we should we'll see. You know it's it's thoughtful to to think of that as being a cap on increases to that underwriting capacity. But I think as we get into Q4 and they're able to convert these hiring pipelines into productive employees and as states open up and, you know, folks can um, uh, have some return to, uh, you know, an, a, a, the business uh, uh, office uh, environment, I think we'll, we'll see that productivity pick up. I think once we get into 2021, that that's where it's really important. And, you know, we think that the industry will be aiming to um, increase their uh, underwriting capacity, hire 20% more to handle the volume. So, you know, when we think about that, plus our, you know, uh, market share uh, growth rates that we've had, you know, you, you can sort of see the 2021 for us is shaping up to be a strong year. We're going to hire and we're going to work with our customers through that. Great. And in terms of the 18.5% um, uh, market adjusted growth in the appraisal this quarter, um, is it still the case that's being predominantly driven by, by Tier 1 share gains? Tier 1 and Tier 2. Yeah, for sure. Um, we haven't been capped by any lender. Uh, you know, we feel very good about our uh, performance and our market share growth um, continuing. Okay. And finally, uh, for Bill, you mentioned uh, each incremental transaction had a 72% uh, uh, incremental margin. Uh, how do you see that trending over the next few months? Does that ratio stay steady or should there be some increase to that? Well, I think, uh, I think time will tell clearly, Thanos, but, um, you know, we, we, I think, you know, when we think about this quarter and, and, and you know, punch it up against Q, Q1 in particular, I think you're seeing, uh, you're seeing that, that phenomena uh, happen on a repeated basis, and two quarters isn't necessarily a pattern, but all of that to say, I think that, uh, you know, we'll probably see more of the same, uh, you know, coming up into, into Q3 and, and, and beyond. Uh, would be my expectation, and uh, perhaps even a, a slight advancement of that uh, uh, over over time. So that would be my view on that. All right. Thanks, Professor Lyon. Our next question comes from one of Gavin Fairweather from Cormark. Hey there, good morning, Jason. I thought I'd start out on, on the purchase market. You've been pretty consistent in your commentary around Expecting, um, you know, a softening both in April and then in the months ahead, but starting to see if you kind of green shoots in the market in terms of the applications uh, trending higher. So curious if you're starting to question that a little bit and, and maybe what you're hearing from lenders in terms of the potential for a delayed spring market. Got it. Um, yeah, it's surprisingly strong purchase business versus my more pessimistic view in terms of the ability to get, you know, homes sold. Um, and, you know, it's still down significantly from, you know, say what we were seeing in early March. Uh, but, you know, still, still you saw it in the MBA uh, data a few weeks here now, we've seen purchase applications um, increase. Um, and, and so, look, when we look at our appraisal business, it's really indifferent to whether or not, you know, it's a purchase transaction or a refinance transaction. And since there's so many refis available, um, that the, the real issue becomes back to that underwriting capacity constraint. So we're kind of indifferent if it's a purchase or a refi. I guess if the purchase business uh, picks up sooner 
and stay stronger. You know, it really gives support that we've got, you know, uh, closer to that three-year uh, time to work through all of these mortgages that are incented to refinance uh, with the banks hiring 20% underwriting per year. Um, you know, it's sort of how I think about that. So, look, I'm, I'm happy to have that. Um, of course, our, our, our title business is all refinanced, um, and, you know, increase in purchase won't impact that, that side of the business at all in terms of our client base so, and, and our large market share growth opportunities. So, um, yeah, I think uh, it, it's a good sign. Um, we're watching states and counties start to open up in, in, in the U.S. We're just remaining cautious, um, and, uh, and, and, but very focused on the long term for, for our business. Got it. And then just on the um, pipeline of new kind of sales. Hey, Gavin, I think uh, we lost you there. I, yes, we did lose Gavin. We'll go back. We'll go to the next question from Richard C. from National Bank. That's uh, um, so that's wondering from an operational standpoint. Have you uh, kind of uncovered any opportunities uh, during this crisis that you know, hmm. made sort of board, you know, in, in terms of like you know costs, like people need to be in offices. Is there an opportunity to sort of scale margins even further here? I'm going to actually turn that question over to our COO Brian Lang. Yeah, so I, I think, listen, we've, uh, as I think a lot of businesses have, we've gone through quite a transition uh, into a very new working paradigm. So as I mentioned in my comments, we moved from the teens of remote workers to now around 95%. So, so Richard, I think longer term, we're going to be quite thoughtful around uh, what our workforce looks like going forward. We're talking very much about continuing the remote strategy that we've had of, of having people remote, it makes a lot of difference in our business, having people spread out throughout the states. Uh, there's lots of local title regulation, uh, title skill set that's, that's very helpful when you have a remote force. And so the, the new hires, uh, a tremendous proportion of the new hires, much over 50% are now uh, being hired as remote employees. So I think that, that we should see some benefit in that longer term. I, I don't think it'll be short term because uh, we, we've got a fair real estate footprint now. But uh, longer term, we're definitely thinking about a much more remote workforce. Okay. And then kind of on a related note, you know, given the current backdrop, you know, how would you be thinking about uh, you know, capital allocation you know, for the remainder of the year? And is there sort of any permanent sort of shift in thinking maybe on that front uh, given some of the things you've seen to date? Yeah, I, look, I think um, uh, we continue to – we'll always maintain a strong balance sheet given that, you know, our clients are regulated banks. Um, I think it positions us well there. Um, I, I think in the current environment, you know, acquisitions are, are not likely given, um, you know, just, just what we see out there in appraisal and title and, and, and you know, we're laser focused on this organic execution and, and we think we have, we have a lot that we can do there. Um, so when we come back to, you know, capital allocation, we continue to think uh, that buying back our, our, our shares is a very effective way to return capital to shareholders and notwithstanding that we do that in a very disciplined manner. So um, we, we, we like that approach. 
Um, you know, I think as we, we get into, when we look at to support this business, really we, we don't require a large capital or increase in capital investment. So, you know, we, the growth is about the operating model. And in fact, the bigger we get, the more standardized we get in terms of moving up into the tiers of the client. So I, I think we're, we're good there and we'll stay on the level of investment that we have. Um, but as we, we, we look to the new, you know, the, new, the next five years, uh, under our investor day this fall, uh, I think we're we're going to talk about you know um, where we see that going, and and we'll do a uh, a fulsome sort of breakdown on how we think about capital at that time. Okay, that's helpful. Thank you. Thanks, Richard. Our next question comes from the line of Stephen from Raymond James. Um, hey, thanks. Uh, um, Jason, uh, a follow-up on uh, the underwriting capacity. If rates stay low, is, yeah. is there a scenario where lenders not expand capacity? Like, can they be distracted by something else, or, or we can take that capacity growth for granted if rates stay low? Yeah, look, I, I think that once we're out, out of this sort of near-term pandemic, and, you know, you can hire and you can train, I think, There'll be shifts. Uh, if, you, we, if you do, you know, uh, think that unemployment will be high, that some some industries, such as travel, might be significantly disrupted. I, I think there'll be a big pool of of, of folks there that uh, the mortgage industry can hire from. Uh, so, look, I, I think the uh, uh, these are mortgages that we're never going to refinance um, with rates at higher levels. And if you think the 10-year rate is going to stay, you know, uh, below 1.2 uh, within the next few years, or the Fed doesn't raise rates, then then I, I don't see a scenario where, as we get into 2021 and 2022, that the banks aren't uh, or all lenders are not aggressively hiring. Again, what we're seeing um, uh, one big non-bank has got 3,000 postings out there right now. Uh, there's multiple. Um, uh, you know, data points out there around how the lenders are trying to hire. So I think it's, can they convert them in the near term? But then I think, you know, I've got strong confidence around that in 2021. Okay, that's great. And, and then uh, similar to an earlier question, um, uh, electronic closings, uh, remote online notarization, are you seeing those trends in title and closing? And, and does this impact you, positive or negative? Thank you. Sure. Uh, well, on, on remote or electronic closings, I, I think that uh, should the industry move there, we're, we're ready. Um, and, you know, you still need a network to support uh, that, in assess, especially exceptions. Uh, but, you know, we're ready from a technology and from um, a, uh, you know, exception management perspective. Uh, however, I do believe that change happens very slowly here. Um, there's, there's multiple layers. You've got you know, the state has to sign on to it. The investors have to sign on to it. The lender has requirements that they have to sign on to, uh, and so on and so forth. So I, I just think around this, the change management is, is going to be significant. Um, but uh, we're ready with a solution to move there. So I think it's, it's, it's neutral to us um, at this time. All right. Very helpful. Thank you. Next question comes from the line of Paul Steve from Scotia Bank Capital. Great morning. Uh, Jason, morning, just Paul. quickly for you or Bill, on title in the MTNA, you talk about a backlog being created because some of your uh, some of your volume couldn't be cleared based on closings of municipal offices. Could you just 
like how big is the backlog, dollar size, you know, if it is actually material, was any of that revenue recognized or should we expect a bump to come? Oh, I see. Uh, well, I'll start off and say that the county closings impact a very tiny, so I think less than 2% of the volume. Uh, so I don't think there's anything significant with respect to those counties reopening in terms of new revenue recognition, et cetera, that would be significant, I think, is the easy answer there. Um, Bill, is there anything you'd want to add to that? Yeah, I would just say clearly we can't recognize the revenue until the closing has obviously occurred. So that event is, is uh, obviously has not been satisfied. So there was no clearly revenue recognized in this quarter uh, specific to that. Um, I think, Paul, as Jason mentioned, I don't think this is a significant, uh, you know, uh, event for us would be my immediate reaction. Uh, obviously, is there going to be a bit of a bump as they reopen? Of course, but I don't think it's going to be significant in any way would be my view. Got it. Perfect. Um, just on the title business, could you talk a little bit about is there an opportunity out there to force the business over time in terms of picking up either M&A doing anything organically in this time period to open yourself up for more of the purchase market on the title side. Thanks. Got it. Uh, so, so really we see, especially with rates dropping so low, I really think that, you know, we're going to see one of the larger refi opportunities multi-year that, that uh, has existed and, and that the industry doesn't have enough vendors to, to manage that. So I think it's very supportive for us launching clients on our title side. And, you know, as we get into those larger lenders um, and, you know, we're able to, to, to prove and through execution our excellence uh, that they already enjoy an appraisal on title, I think that that starts to allow us to really focus on when the bank is pre-qualifying a homeowner for purchase and inserting ourselves in that cycle. So I still think that it, you know, the, the cycle here should be get, get live and get in is that large install base of of clients on, on refinance, work through that. And then, you know, as we start thinking about, you know, at some point the large refi wave that we were never expecting is going to reduce, that's when we want to be, you know, growing share with a broadest base of clients that we've installed, uh, as well as, you know, uh, focusing on, on that purchase market opportunity with those clients. So, um, you know, we're going to be very strategic here um, around how we manage through this um, inc incredible volume wave. And, you know, that will, that will be really targeting those customers we think we have great long-term purchase opportunity with, as well as, uh, you know, really landing as large of an install base as we can, uh, such that we can grow share uh, and keep the business uh, growing on the other side of that. But uh, I think that's uh, as we get into 2023 and 2024. Great. Thank you. Welcome, Paul. Next question comes from Deepak Shaw from... GMP. Oh, hey, good morning, guys. Uh, thanks for taking my questions. Uh, hopefully they're not too rookie uh, for me and for you guys this morning. <laughs> <laughs> um, you okay. know, I had a question on, on title and closing. I know that you're expanding with new tier ones. Um, what's been the impact of COVID on the pace of new rollouts here, and, and what's the outlook for, for that going forward? Yeah, so I, I think that we're, we're still focused on, you know, launching, uh, you know, new Tier 2s, uh, progressing through the sales cycle with our Tier 1s. Uh, obviously, with the backdrop of there'll be more volume, we think that's very supportive for us getting there. 
within these clients. Uh, but this is the lenders have a lot going on right now. Uh, managing COVID-19, managing, you know, the remote, uh, trying to hire, et cetera. And so I, I think as we think about, you know, the next two quarters, uh, we are still landing clients, but we, we, we've landed such a large client base over the last nine months. Really, it was always the plan to have, you know, those clients and their share growth really power um, the back half of, of, of this year. So um, I, I think that's how we're, we're thinking through sort of those new client launches. We continue to launch clients, though, in, in, the, uh, in the environment. Got it. And then, and then when I think of um, Tier 1s, whether it's title and closing or appraisal, Tier 1s versus the top 100 versus, you know, the smaller market of, of yeah. lenders out there, uh, you know, what, what do you expect in terms of market share changes there, and how could that change some of the, the growth expectations for the business going forward? And then I've got one more after that. Sure, no worries. Well, it's actually a fantastic question. And I think there's, there's a lot of commentary around, um, you know, in this environment, um, you know, the, the, the regulated banks um, who, who have been over the last year, you look in their quarters, you know, slowly sort of regaining some share, uh, that this could really put a focus on, on them. So that would be supportive for us. We have a, uh, an, an outsized uh, gain or, or share, sorry, of deposit-taking institutions in um, our appraisal business. We, of course, have, you know, some phenomenal large non-banks. So I think it actually favors larger lenders uh, within those, those tiers, and those tiers getting bigger overall, uh, that would be very good for us. They tend to focus more on operational excellence, as you would expect, and that is, that is our laser-focused sweet spot. So um, I think that would be very supportive. Thanks. Thanks. And then my last question, I know um, on strategy, you've mentioned no change, not to expect M&A, wait for your investor day this fall. Uh, yeah. I'm just curious if you can go on offense here, maybe talk about your technology roadmap, anything there that you can accelerate uh, on the data side or the technology side that could strengthen your moat versus the competitors? Yeah, look, I think one of our core strengths as a business is um, our, our annual planning process. We rebuild the three to five year plan, the survey five year plan, um, and we focus on the end game and then we work backwards. Um, and it really focuses, on, focuses you on what markets matter where is their margin that matters? And then what are your core differentiators? And so we then build out our, our technology and product roadmap there. It's, 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 it's significant. And so we're going to stay on those things that keep making us better at network management. We're going to stay at capacity management. We're going to stay at logistics management through the platform. We're going to stay at um, more interim um, uh, KPIs that can drive reductions in tails and exceptions, which matter so much to lenders, to improved quality control capabilities uh, and scoring methods, mechanisms. So um, I, I think that's been well thought out. I think in this environment, we're just staying on it. Um, and we have not deviated from that product roadmap. Okay, excellent. Well, thank you for taking my question. Thanks, Deepak. That is all the questions that we have. Well, thank you, operator. I think that wraps things up for today, and thank you for joining our call. Please stay safe. That concludes today's conference call. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect.
Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.